Hey, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. wanting to bring more focus on to mental health on my podcast because it's so incredibly complex and so incredibly relevant for most of us. Mental health is an important branch to my work as a naturopath and birth doula. I always, and I mean always, have to consider a woman's mental health while I'm supporting her. The more I think about it, in fact, it probably is at the core of how I approach any treatment plan for my clinic clients, and how I support a woman during pregnancy and birth and how we plan for the postpartum. Now, mental health is obviously not straightforward, and there's never a one-size-fits-all approach, and many feel that mental health is incredibly hard to talk about. Where do we start? Who do we reach out to? When do we know if we're not okay, and what are the signs of struggling? It's complex. So this is why I'm happy to say that in this episode, I have invited Dr. Michaela Sanson onto the podcast to share her expertise, her wisdom, and her passion for mental health. I have known and worked with Dr. Michaela Sanson for some years now, and I'm such a fan of her work. She's so passionate about her work as a GP here in Sydney, but she's also very much about rural health. She's a country girl at heart and dedicates a lot of her time traveling to the countryside to provide her care and support as a GP to people who need more local access and care. She has a Bachelor of Medicine from the University of Newcastle and holds a fellowship of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, as well as holding a Diploma of Child and Family Health from Sydney University. Her specialty is, as mentioned, of course, mental health and rural health, but also pregnancy and women's health, children and family health. I have been drawn to her because her approach to her patients is caring, kind and compassionate. She takes time to understand and connect with her patients, which I really admire. It's seriously no easy feat for a busy GP, but this is where she stands out and where her true passion for her work shines through. She believes in a holistic approach, focusing on the entire person in front of her, not just of separate organs or numbers on her on a test. I love that about her. She also has some Danish blood in her veins, so you know, being a Dane myself, it's just added the cherry on top. <laughs> I really think it's time to bring more conversation to how we're doing, what's really going on on the inside. Stop pretending or feeling ashamed to share how we're really doing or when we're not doing well. We focus mostly on women's health in this specific episode because this is an area I'm deeply, deeply entrenched in. I'm passionate about women feeling well, strong, and free to express their needs and feelings. I have to tell you, when I work with women and see their transformation, on whatever journey they're on, be it birth, early motherhood, or at a different stage taking charge of their life, health, diet, and mental health, it blows my socks off every time. It makes my work feel like a blessing, and I'm incredibly proud to be close to so many amazing women who seek my support and help. 
Now I hope this episode is going to bring you lots of value and perhaps food for thought. I will do my very best to bring Michaela Sanson back onto the podcast because I have much more to talk to her about. So if you have any questions, comments or feedback, please email me on support at anamaria.com.au or you can of course find me on my website or on Instagram. Lastly, if you feel you need to take action or get some support for yourself, you can find Dr. Michaela Sanson on her website, which is www.drmichaelasanson.com. I'll spell it for you. Hang on. D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-A-S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N.com. <laughs> She works in Double Bay here in Sydney at Double Bay Doctors, so you can find her there. And we also feel it's important to mention Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue is a resource that specializes in mental health and has lots and lots of free support, online forums, and ways that you can get in touch with professional help. You can find out more on www.beyondblue.org.au. And I will link to all of this, of course, on my website. Okay, now let's get to it. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Dr. Michaela Sanson. It's um, a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about it all. Yeah, I know you are also a fellow passionate mental health worker. Um, So yeah, I think it's really, um, really important to talk more about it, have more transparency and more solutions. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the more we talk about something, the more we can break down the barriers and make people feel comfortable talking about it, acknowledging their feelings and, like you said, get more solutions Mm -hmm. because really that's what we're here for, to help people through these really, really challenging times. Yeah. And mental health is incredibly complex. Incredibly (laughs) complex. I mean, it would be really nice if there was one quick, simple solution, one size fits Mm. all, but I don't think we'd be here talking about it today if that was the case. No, that's right. Before I got here, I was sort of trying to sort of narrow down, like, what are the most common symptoms of mental health and what are the things? And I was like, oh my God, the list is so long. Completely. (laughs) And it overlaps with so many physical things as well. So you can't just compartmentalize it into, oh, this is a a mental health symptom and this is a physical symptom because Mm. we're one body, we're one being, our mind and our our physical body is all related. Mm. Um, So they do overlap. Yeah, they do, they do. But tell the listener, I know you, and I actually was thinking um, on my way here how we met, which was me finding you, basically, because of your last name, because you have Danish roots and Danish blood in your veins. Yes, I do, and I was just commenting before I think you're the first person to actually pronounce my surname correctly so it's great (laughs) yeah so tell me a little bit about how you became a GP is that something you always wanted to do or so I think I was probably 13 or 14 when I decided I wanted to do medicine and although I've been asked that question a thousand (laughs) times over I still don't think I have a definite answer I come from a very non-medical family my father emigrated to Australia from Denmark um and went straight into the police force. My mother was a fourth-generation farming family, so there's no one medical in our family. But there was just something that pulled me to it, and I find it really, really difficult to articulate. You know, we often joke maybe it's because I grew up in the country and we never went to a doctor, so I thought maybe that that's the field I need to go into. And certainly rural health 
is one of my big passions and rural mental health. And I think part of that is because of my upbringing, because I saw those huge gaps um, and huge inequities that rural Australians face, and particularly rural mums, because there just aren't those services out there that we have in the city. So after spending my final two years of medical school up in Tamworth, um, I decided that I probably needed some experience both work-wise and I think just life-wise in a city. Um, so that's how I ended up in Sydney and then I fell in love with it. So I've just stayed fast forward eight years and, you know, we're all settled down and I'm not looking to go anywhere. I do still do some rural health work. Um, that's something that I'm really passionate about and something that I hope to continue to do moving forward. And I think it's a really good balance doing the city and the rural side of things because you do see different issues in the different communities. Um, but then with Sydney itself and the mental health side of things, I wouldn't say it's something that I specifically sought out. I think it's something I more fell into. The more I more experience I got in general practice, the more I saw that mental health was an ever-increasing issue and something that wasn't really addressed that well. We didn't have a lot of support around it. And I think people still to some extent, saw a really big stigma about it and didn't feel comfortable talking about it. That's certainly something I saw with a lot of my patients. So I think that's where my passion grew. Um, it's something that I, you know, I could see it was relevant and I wanted to help my patients and, you know, the general community explore it, talk about it more and break down the stigma. Mm, yeah. And so what is the current situation? If, we've, if we, we have to hone it, mental health is obviously incredibly comprehensive but when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum parenting that sort of area what is the current situation is it worse than it has been is it getting better what's what's going on unfortunately I have to say I really do think it's getting worse particularly from a postnatal depression and anxiety side of things and again I don't think there's an easy answer as to why that is the case but I'm certainly seeing more and more expected mums and new mums and look to be honest even mums that are onto their third or fourth child coming in with heightened anxiety and and depression I think one of the big reasons behind that is well I think there's a few but one of them is the lack of support for within the general community you know I think when we were you know younger our parents generation you really were raised by a village you know you knew your neighbours, you had your family around, everyone helped out. Whereas in Sydney, we're surrounded by millions of people, but I think people are more alone than ever. I think vast majority of people I speak to would not have a clue who their neighbour was. They often don't have family around. Um, and that can be really, really isolating and overwhelming where, when you're in this situation of being a new mum and everything's completely new for you. Yeah, that's right. I often say to the couples and the women I work with, that 70% of what's coming is uncertain and unknown. And that's a very hard concept for our current lifestyle and the way we live and our intellectual, overly functioning brains. In terms, we like to know, we like to plan, we like to be in control. That's how we function. Could not agree more. And actually, I was just having this discussion with Sean, my fiance, last night about how much we plan things in advance. And you know, our entire life, well, my life is like an Excel spreadsheet. I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I know what I'm doing next week. You know, we've got the next 12 months planned. But parenthood is the exact opposite to that. You know, even the journey of trying to fall pregnant, it's something that is so beyond your control that it is really confronting and it makes women really vulnerable. And vulnerability is something that we're not really comfortable with in this day and age. I think we all want to feel strong. We want to feel in control and on top of things. But 
You know, when you don't know what's happening and when you're sleep deprived and your emotions are all over the, the shop, you are really, really vulnerable. And I think that leads women or, or puts them at risk of developing anxiety and, and mental health concerns. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And I have to say I can relate to that and I've learned so much from the women I work with, which I'm sure you, you, you experience that too. But when I had my first baby, um, there was so much pride in terms of, well, just being a mum, I was very proud of that and my beautiful baby, everything was just so amazing. But there was a level of me that did not want to fully acknowledge how lost I was. And to the outside world, I think it, it probably didn't look like that. It looked like I had everything under control and everything was, you know, perfect. But it's a feeling. It's something you can't, you know, when you are out of control, we don't have the Excel spreadsheets or the PowerPoints or whatever. When you don't have it all planned out, you, you don't know what's happening next. And that can, that I think brings that vulnerability into a, almost shameful or, or embarrassing. Whereas over the years now, having observed so many women and have gone through, you know, being a mother of three and kind of have had to let go of all that perfectionist yeah. stuff. Um, but now I see vulnerability as something incredibly special. It's really turned around, but that's hard to convey unless you feel it and see it. Because we see so many, obviously, clients and patients in our clinics as well. But learning to understand that vulnerability is actually a very beautiful thing. I could not agree more. And that's sort of something that I reiterate to women over and over again. You know, we live in a world where everyone's got a mask on. We all want to appear a certain way. We want to appear strong. And as you said, we've got it all together because that's all we see around us. So we feel that if we don't also convey that message, we're somehow a failure or not coping. And as you said, that's something that we feel embarrassed about or shameful about. But one of the blessings I say with my job is when people walk into my clinic room, they, we close the door, all those masks come off and women are, women and men um, as well, because we can't ignore the fathers uh, in this absolutely. as well. Um, but they become incredibly vulnerable. Like I said, everything's peeled back and they sit there in front of me and they're telling it like it is. And it's in vulnerability that I think you see the true beauty of the human spirit shine yeah. through. And that's something, like I said, as a GP, I actually feel really blessed and really honoured to be able to be let into people's lives like that. And I'm sure you experience that with your role um, as a doula and supporting women through their pregnancy and birth as well. Absolutely. It is a privilege. It really is because it's so, it's so genuine and they let their guard down and their mask yeah. off, like you say. But that's also what makes you a very good GP. Because you have the ability to connect. You have the ability to be very honest in the room, you know, closing the door. There is a real, it's very easy to be your patient, which is a skill you have. Tell us a little bit about what are the, what are the different things to look out for when you are, I mean, we are talking specifically about women, yeah. but I agree with you, we cannot exclude the men. There's a whole, it's a massive topic when it comes to the men, which maybe we can talk about yeah, another time. That might be another podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. We yeah. can do it all in one. Yeah. So let's talk about the women today yeah. in terms of what, are the, what does it mean when, with the postpartum? What does it mean with postnatal depression? I know we have got postnatal anxiety. Yeah. There's many variations. Yeah. Could you give us a little bit of an insight as to what, are, what does it mean? Yeah. And that's a really, really great question. And so as you mentioned, you've got postnatal depression, you've got postnatal anxiety. But if I'm being honest, I think the two overlap. And they usually go hand in hand. Very rarely, particularly these days, do I see one without the other. They might occur together. They might occur independently. Um, but they often 
do overlap. And it's really, really difficult, particularly for new mums, to ascertain whether what they're feeling is normal. You know, they're sleep deprived, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed, their breasts hurt, their bodies change, you know, and they're in this completely new role that they've never been in before. And so I think it's natural to feel a bit overwhelmed, a bit exhausted and a bit flat at times. But when it flips from being sort of normal into abnormal, that's when those feelings are really heightened and really prolonged is the other one as well. So, you know, if these symptoms are lasting for, you know, more than two weeks or so, and the symptoms I sort of break into three categories and there are emotional changes, thought changes and behaviour changes as well. So with the emotions, as we sort of touched on, it's feeling overwhelmed most of the time. It's feeling really teary, really emotional, or you might also be getting really angry and really snappy. And it's when these feelings, you know, if they flick in and out, that might be a sign of sleep deprivation or exhaustion. But if you feel that they're the predominant feelings you're feeling for the vast majority of the time, then that might be a red flag that, hey, maybe I'm not coping. Maybe some anxiety or depression is flaring up. In terms of thoughts, um, often women will report feeling a bit of a disconnect. So they look at their baby or it might be their partner and they're not feeling that emotional connection that they once did before or that they were expecting to. Um, Feeling that you can't cope, you can't keep going on with this. Feeling that your child would be better off with someone else as a parent is another key one that I hear a lot, which is heartbreaking, but it's what a lot of women feel. Yeah, that's heavy. Mm. Yeah. And then obviously to, to the extreme end, something that I would, if you are thinking this, I urge you to see someone urgently, is thoughts of harming either yourself or the baby. So if you do feel those things, do not feel guilty and do not feel ashamed or embarrassed about it, but go and talk to someone about it because there are people to help. And similarly then just touching on different behaviour changes, it might be changes in your sleeping patterns, which Obviously, when baby is not sleeping and waking up all the time to feed, that happens anyway. Um, But also another big one is isolation. So you're not wanting to go out, you're not wanting to socialise with people um, or you're not enjoying things like you used to. You're finding it really difficult to look forward to things or, you know, really enjoy simple moments that used to bring you a lot of happiness. Yeah. And I think the key point there is, which is exactly what you're saying also, is that we'll have pockets of all of that but it's the continuous feeling and that it takes over and it's more of the time as opposed to not. Exactly. And you can't seem to bring yourself out of it. You know, rational brain is telling us, oh, you know, I should be happy. I've got this beautiful, healthy new baby, but I just can't seem to see that. And that's the vast majority of the time. So that's, again, to reiterate, nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to feel guilty about. It doesn't mean you're a bad mum. It just means... You need to, you know, rely on the people that are there to help you. You need to talk to someone, whether it be your GP, whether it be your partner, whether it be some friends. You know, you've got a community of people around you that want to help you, that want to support you, and now's the time to call on them. And it always has been that way. And, you know, we've just changed the way people are living in different cities, countries, across the globe. It's very very different. Um, I think that... It's important to talk about this prior, not to sort of, you know, be like, this is so hard and this is what to expect. But in terms of not feeling the shame and the guilt and all that, if we can 
if we can share with women and men, because it's quite shocking as a man to see potentially your partner going through your partner going through those emotions, especially if they're very prominent. Yeah. Um, but to normalize it prior so that if they are recognizing that this is happening and the bonding to the baby is not happening as they may have heard of, which is the ideal, quote unquote, um, I think that then, one, I think then it's easier to ask for help because you can then go, oh, actually, Dr. Michaela Sanson, you told me that this could be a thing. I'm here because it's a thing, <laughs> Yeah, for example. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a proactive approach is always better than a reactive approach. And that's something particularly with the women that I do GP shared care with, so the women that I'll be seeing regularly through their pregnancy, we bring it up time and time again about, you know, the different things you can expect during the pregnancy, you know, with the body changes, the hormone changes, and the fear of the unknown. Often anxiety and depression might start to rear its head then, and in which case, you know, we make sure we've got a good team around them and the support's in place. But even if things are sailing along smoothly and everything looks great, I still like to discuss it and bring it up, you know, particularly as we're getting nearer and nearer to the birth, to let them know that, hey, as you said, if you are feeling this, it's okay, you know, and we're here to help and and there are things that we can do to make that transition easier. Yeah. And what are those things? What do you recommend? So the most important thing, which I think women really, really struggle with the most, is self-care. So looking after themselves. We struggle with that when we don't have children, let alone then when you put children (laughs) into the mix. Yeah, 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 exactly. So for some reason, we feel guilty, you know, putting time aside for ourselves. But it is so important because if we don't look after ourselves, there's absolutely no way that we can look after our baby or our partner, you know, or, or nourish our relationship. So trying to get some sleep, mm-hmm. you know, eating well. We know, as cliched as it sounds, you know, the nutrients and the food that we put in our body really does give us the fuel we need. And if we eat well, we tend to feel better. And that's um, one of the first things that goes out of the window because we associate eating well with, you know, spending hours cooking and all this different stuff. But it's, you know, it's one of the first things. Coffee and muffins seem to be the modern diet of motherhood. Yeah, sugar and carbohydrates to keep you going when you're sleep deprived. Um, Now I can relate because that was my night shift day (laughs) as well when I was working in the hospital. Um, But yeah, really making sure that we do eat plenty of fruits, vegetables, getting those nutrients that we need to fuel our body and getting outside and getting some exercise as well. Again, when you're exhausted, when you're sleep deprived, when everything hurts and you're feeling tired, it's the last thing you feel like doing. But, you know, take the baby out for a walk, get some vitamin D, get some sunshine, some fresh air, and it really does make a difference. And the other really, really important thing is talk to people. You know, as Mm -hmm. we've said, I think 30 times already, and I'll probably say it another 100 times throughout the podcast, there is no shame in feeling like you're not coping. There's no shame in feeling like maybe you know, you're struggling with depression or anxiety, there are people there to help. So talk to your friends, talk to your family. Even if you're living in a different city, a different country, we've got Skype, we've got FaceTime, we've got all of those things, so utilise it. The other really important thing, talk to your GP. You know, that's what your GP is there for. Um, They've got some, you know, or they should have a really good network of people around them, whether it be psychologists, you know, counsellors, social workers, Um, a really good network of mental health experts that can help support you through the journey as well. And there is the mental health care plan, which can be put in place, you know, early in the postpartum if needed. That's exactly right. So what the mental health care plan is, is that's a referral process that allows or activates a total over a 12-month period of 10 
sessions with a psychologist that's Medicare subsidised because seeing a psychologist can be really expensive and particularly you know, when you're not working because you've just had a baby, you might be down to a, a single income or a single mum. And having a baby itself is expensive. You know, the Medicare subsidy for the, the mental health visits can be really, really helpful. The other thing is a lot of the, the public hospitals in particular have a really, really good mental health team, which again will be Medicare covered. They've got psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, a really good team that you can be linked in with in the antenatal period, so even before bub comes along, um, and they follow you up in the postpartum period as well. So that's absolutely invaluable. It really is. And I have to say, firsthand being in the hospitals with so many women as a birth doula, that um, when things go off the plan and it gets a bit more hairy than we would like, I have to say that the hospitals put in plan in place those social workers so quickly, um, sometimes quicker than I can even, you know, believe. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of support. What I wanted to touch on also is, um, I'm sure you've heard, you know, the... Um, the tradition, of, especially in the Asian cultures, the, the, the 40 days postpartum, the fourth yeah. trimester in terms of, they have a very strict tradition in terms of not leaving the house, yeah. not doing any housework whatsoever and being cared for. And it's been really interesting to, uh, to observe when I have been supporting Asian, the Asian community and the couples, because I always inquire, I'm like, how is that? Because yeah. it's so different from what you know, Westerners do, yeah. which is do it all on your own um, yeah. type attitude. And it's very mixed in terms of, you know, they feel confined, which is called confinement. Yeah. They feel it's too much. And it's just to the point in terms of that you said with getting out there, get some sunshine. I often say, sometimes it's good to go out and just feel that, you know, the world is still turning. Life is still as it were. You have yeah. just added your beautiful baby to it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we need to ground ourselves again and, and just know that although your insides and your body and your mind and your, your, you know, your home yeah. feels like it's gone upside down, you need to just go out and connect with something else as well. Completely. And a big part of that, as you mentioned, is that the world is still the same. The, your role in it and your place in it is still there because I think that's something that a lot of women do struggle with is they transition into a role as a mum, which is wonderful and, and you know, they're looking forward to it and, and they wouldn't change it for the world, but they really lose their sense of their own identity and their independence and who they are as a woman. And that's something that we really need to foster and, and try and support them through that of merging the two. So being a mum, but also still being a woman as well. Yeah, that's right. And like you mentioned earlier, also the relationship, you know, making sure that you stay connected with your partner or a family and so on. So in terms of women who don't have you as their GP, <laughs> um, what do you recommend in terms of them planning this out? Because yes, we all, we, many of us like to plan. Yeah. And we, you and I do recommend it to some extent in terms of knowing what are you going to do in the postpartum when yeah. it all turns upside down. Um, should women put in appointments prior to birth maybe in terms of touching base with their local GP? What, what do you see working? Look, I think that's a, a really good idea in terms of scheduling regular, regular appointments leading up to it. But first things first, even before that, is finding a GP that you feel comfortable with. Of course, you know, yeah. we don't all get on with everyone in life. We know that. Um, and you might have been seeing a GP that was fine, you know, when you were just needed repeat scripts or something like that. But you want to find someone that you feel you can really connect with, you can open up with, and you feel emotionally as well as, um, you know, physically, medically really supports you as well. And 
I think the best time to find that GP is prior to giving birth. Um, so like you said, you can have those few appointments scheduled in, go through what your concerns might be and just put a plan in place. And then once baby does come along, you know, something that we've talked about before is the lack of follow-up in that postpartum period. And, you know, we do a six-week check and that's often when baby will get their six-week check and then mum gets their six-week postpartum check. But six weeks is a really long time. It's too long. It's too long. It's really long. And a lot can go awry physically and emotionally in that time. So I will often encourage women to come in, you know, one to two weeks weeks post-birth um, and then again maybe we do a four-week one as well you can bring baby along or you might want to just come in on your own that's fine as well and then once we've done a couple of appointments from there then we work out a plan moving forward for the next six 12 months as to how often we need to touch base depending on what issues arise yeah and the benefit just to the listen, listeners with this also is whether you do it with your you know your local GP or you find someone else that you connect with is that that health professional will get to know you as a woman, meaning that you might not notice that you're starting to behave in ways that are, you know, maybe considered abnormal and need some attention. But the fact that you have someone who you have built a rapport with or connection with and who gets you is really important because, you know, GPs are and other health professionals are meant to be able to sort of decipher what's normal and what's not. Completely, completely. And that's where exactly as you said, having that person that knows you and can pick up those subtle changes because often they really are subtle. And I've certainly seen it with people that have come through that, again, I can see them trying to put the mask up because, you know, they're not quite ready um, to take it all off and become vulnerable. And, of course, I'm never going to sit there and point my finger and say, I think you're depressed. But we'll ask the questions, we'll nut it out, and I might get them to come back and see me in a week's time and then again in another week's time. And we keep just following it up until, you know, we're both comfortable that there's a plan that's supporting that woman in um, in place. And I'm sure you experience the same thing with your role as a doula with lots of mums. You'll see how they've been in the antenatal period leading up to, to the birth and then being there with the birth, knowing what they've they've gone through. Yeah. That postpartum follow-up for you, I think, I'm, I'm, I could be yeah, assuming no, no, that is really, yeah. really valuable. Well, that's the whole role. The whole, that's the whole point as a doula because mm-hmm. we are the ones that are not medical for a, yeah. for a very specific reason, um, and we don't do anything medical related. It's more about the mental health and knowing the people, knowing the family, knowing what their wishes and their hopes and dreams and philosophies and values are. Because if I can see that it's all going off track, knowing, let's say, um, it is a woman who really likes, you know, spread streets and things like that. If then I know that if it goes too far off plan, it's going to make her uncomfortable. And it's important she knows who that person is that comes to her home and spends hours there. It's a very different connection. But yeah, when I do see that there is too much anxiety or if she's starting to behave in ways that she's never behaved before, then it's very easy for me to, in a very caring and gentle way, to say, you know, it's time to reach out to, you know, other types of health professionals. Um, I wanted also to talk to you about antidepressants because they are obviously at play here and they Mm. are um, uh, used and utilised and helpful. Yeah. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about that in terms of what do they do? What? Yeah. Yeah. So basically taking a step back in terms of mood, both for anxiety and depression, 
One hormone in particular um, is really important in, in maintaining our mood, and that's something called serotonin. Now, while there are lots of different antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, the ones that we normally start with are something called SSRIs, which stand for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors, all very medical and a bit <laughs> jargonish, I know. But basically what they do is they're designed to reduce the rate at which your body burns through the serotonin. So to give you a more constant uh, level of that hormone to try and even out the mood. Now, I like to start with, before I talk about what they do and what to expect, I like to talk about the things not to expect because they're, I think, what people's biggest fear is. So they shouldn't make you feel like a different person. I think that's one of the most common things people say to me is, I don't want to take a tablet because I don't want to feel like anyone else. And that's not what they should be doing. Similarly, they shouldn't make you feel like a zombie. I think a lot of people feel like it will just absolutely numb them. But again, that's not what they're designed to do. If you're feeling like a different person or a zombie, it means you're on the wrong medication or the wrong dose. Mm. And that's then the time to follow back up with your GP and say, look, I, I just don't feel right on these. And they might try you on something different. So... The way I like to describe it was actually an analogy that a patient gave me that I think is really, really good. So if you're really, really anxious or or feeling depressed, think of it like a bottle of soda water or or soft drink that's been dropped and then picked up and you go to take the lid off. You see it bubbling away and you can see all of those bubbles. You can tell it's going to explode, but you can't do anything about it. The lid comes off and the bubbles just go everywhere. Oh, yeah. That's what it's like when you're anxious. Mm. With the antidepressants or the anti-anxiety medication, You pick it up, you're unscrewing the lid and you can see those bubbles going on. You can see the emotions fizzling away beneath the surface. But if you want to control that, you can just screw that lid back on. So it's within your control. You can contain it. You still feel things. You know, you're still meant to be able to feel happy. You're still meant to be able to feel sad at times, but it's in control and it's in proportion to the situation that's going on. So for example, if you're, you know, you're sleep deprived and baby's crying and then you just got some bad news, you're meant to feel a bit down in the dumps, but you should be able to bring yourself out of it. And that's what the, the medication's designed to do, is just take the edge off things. And these medications, they're not a happy tablet, so you don't take one and then miraculously feel amazing. It's something that gradually builds up um, over about four to six weeks before it has its full effect at a particular dose. And it's not the other thing um, I like to reinforce with them, it's not necessarily forever. Some people do need to stay on it longer term, but for some women it's just for a period of, say, six months while they're getting through, you know, the, the difficult period. I think that's such such valuable information and really good f- to hear in terms of it's not an end-all and it's not necessarily that one tablet is, if that doesn't work, then you're lost. Like there are different dosages and types and durations and so on. Um, do you, when you work with a woman who needs to go on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, do you have a plan or do you, like, what do you do in terms of, because sometimes my, the feedback I have gotten out there is that women go on uh, antidepressant or anti-anxiety and they're on it for uncertain amount of time and they don't actually know what to do. A lot of them are like, well, I don't know. This is just how it is now. Well, this is where the control freak me comes out. <laughs> I'm very much one who has a plan with this type of thing. So if I am ever starting a new mum on an antidepressant, I make sure I see them weekly, fortnightly at the longest um, intervals uh, for several months. I say, look, wow. I, I want to see you in a fortnight, then in four weeks, then in six weeks, because I want to A, make sure the medication's working. I want to assess 
for side effects. Make sure it's the right dose, adjust if we need to. And also just make sure that, you know, the bond is going okay with baby, that physically things are going okay as well as emotionally. And then once I'm comfortable that things are stable, you don't need to keep coming and seeing me on a weekly basis because you'll get sick of the side of me. <laughs> um, but what I'll do is I'll then reassess, say, in three months and then in another three months. And then once a woman has been feeling well for a period of at least three months, we talk about whether we want to continue on it or whether we want to talk about, you know, stepping down the dose. One thing I will say, never stop the medication abruptly. Never stop it without discussing it with your doctor first. It's really important that you step it down slowly and you have a plan for coming off it just like you do a plan for starting it. Hmm. One thing I will say, though, you know, as much as I'm encouraging women to come off it if they're feeling well, there's no rush to come off the medication. Um, You know, uh, the analogy I use is would we tell a diabetic that they needed to come off their insulin? Would we tell someone with epilepsy that quick they have to stop their anti-seizure medication? No. We look at where you are at life. You know, if you've been feeling well for a period of six months, but in the next couple of months you're moving house, you know, your partner's just working, you know, 14 hours a day, you've got in-laws coming to visit, I might say, look, now is not the time to upset the apple cart. Let's just keep things stable and we'll reassess in a month's time. So we just do it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. You know, it's the understanding that, there are so many variabilities, which we talked about in the beginning, is that you, there is no one size fits all. This is mental health. It's, yeah. it, there is, it's, it's so individual, basically. Um, but I think and I hope that it's very valuable for, for the listeners to hear that um, ask for continuous monitoring. Yeah. Ask for someone you, that you can you know, f- do the feedback with and for someone who can do it with you. I have to say there are many that kind of go on them and never see their GP for, well, as in for a long time. And that worries me um, in terms of just what is the plan for them? And are they now thinking that they are not good enough without the medication, for example, as well? Like, I think we need to see that type of medication. Yes, as you say, it's very individual, whether it's very long term, maybe forever. But for some, it's, you know, an intermittent thing. Exactly. And one thing, again, I I will reinforce that taking the medication isn't a sign of failure. It isn't a sign that you're not a good mum. It isn't a sign that you're not coping with life. It's a sign that you need a little bit of help and we've got it there for a reason. Um, But yes, I, I would encourage women to be proactive in discussing it with their GP. And that's also, so yes, for the postpartum period, but also leading up to pregnancy. If you are on an antidepressant or an anti anxiety medication, and you're wanting to start trying for a baby, see your GP first, you know, put a plan in place. For some people, it will be important that they stay on the medication during pregnancy because of their past history. There are some medications that we can't use in pregnancy. So it's really good to have that chat with the doctor, make a plan prior to to trying to conceive as well. Yeah. One of the things that I talk about a lot in my prenatal meetings with women is get to know yourself. It's something which is links up to the self-care. It's like we have to learn to do self-care, which, as we talked about, is hard or can feel really hard. But if we don't know ourselves prior to becoming pregnant, give birth, postpartum, being a mother, it's very hard to do that and to care for a baby and to be sleep-deprived and whatever else. So um, one of the things is that if you do know that you have a history of anxiety or 
anything that has been traumatic in the past, it is likely a time where things will resurface if it hasn't been addressed. Exactly. I think, you know, we know that any predisposition to, to mental illness will flare up at times when you're under stress. And I don't can't think of any more stressful time <laughs> than, uh, you know, pregnancy and, and early motherhood. Like you said, sleep deprivation, physical changes, feeling out of control, hormones all over the shop, you know, that is the time that it will flare up. So it is really important, as you said, to get to know yourself. And I think that is something we really struggle with because a lot of us don't know ourselves really well. You know, we are so used to putting on this charade. We go to work, we come home, we, you know, put on this front for all the people around us that we're coping okay, that we almost convince ourselves that we're this person. And it's not until we are vulnerable that we start to realise, oh, hang on, this is actually who I am. And again, for a lot of women, that can be really confronting. Very, and too confronting. It's yeah. not a good time yeah. to deal with everything. It's not right. So I think often it's, it's, it's about having those conversations prior and, and whether that is seeing a psychologist or something where you start to address it before and so that you can put those plans down because um, not that many want to go on medication, not many plan to do that. And as you say, that you know, it's not something to be ashamed of, but it's also not something to plan for, or, you know, don't use it as a band-aid or anything like that but it, we can do so much for ourselves if we know that mm, actually there is this thing that really bothers me and that's true if I'm sleep deprived and I'm really hungry all the time and I'm breastfeeding chances are I will you know lose yeah. my mind that's exactly right and as you said you know it's not something that people plan for no one chooses to feel anxious no one chooses to feel depressed it's just one of those things that happens yeah. so if we can acknowledge and accept that it's a possibility we can do everything within our power because, as we said, so much of it is beyond our, our control and beyond our power. Prior to giving birth, if we can do all of those things, self-care, looking after ourselves, to really make sure we nourish ourselves physically and mentally, that puts us in the best stead to, while we might not be able to prevent it, to cope with it and manage those feelings and emotions that come, that come along. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, as a, as a naturopath and nutritionist, when I see women in the postpartum, they come sometimes they come to me and sort of sometimes they'll fill in, fill in the patient form and say, you know, they think they're depressed and they're seeing me for that. Um, and if it's truly, you know, the case and that's the true worry they have, and I, send it, I typically send them to you, but what I also think is the, which you touched on in terms of the nutrition, which is also knowing what are the iron storage levels, what is going on on a nutritional element? Because, of course, if we don't have all the parts to the machinery, so to speak, sorry to yeah. make an analogy with machinery. No, it's um, true. It's so <laughs> true. But, you know, if, it's, if we don't have the iron, if we don't have the vitamin yeah. D, if we don't have the components, then if we're living on caffeine and carbohydrates, it's, things are not going to work out very well. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something that I will always say to women, you know, we, we check the physical things in, you know, prior to pregnancy, we will check blood levels. And then usually, you know, at the 26 to 28 week mark, we'll often check iron levels, check vitamin D, check um, glucose levels again. But then in the postpartum, it often gets missed. So that's, if someone comes to me and they're worried that they're anxious or depressed, what I always say to them is, look, it's really important that we do address your feelings and emotions, but before I put anything down to, oh, you're just anxious, not that I would use the word just, but oh, you're anxious, <laughs> yeah. um, that we make sure that we're not missing anything physical. Because if your iron is non-existent, it doesn't matter how much you see a psychologist, it doesn't matter how many antidepressants you take, you're still going to feel rubbish. We need to top your iron up. 
And the same thing goes, you know, checking thyroid, as you mentioned, vitamin D. And I know you educated me the other day on <laughs> the importance of iodine levels as well. So all of those things we really need to make sure we monitor because in the postpartum, they can change quickly and dramatically. And particularly if you're breastfeeding as well, they will zap your stores of a, a lot of things. We need to make sure that you've got the right nutrients. Absolutely. And I mean, that's where it has to start. And, you know, my hat's off to you because you do that stuff. You know, you, you acknowledge that and that's really mm -hmm. important. But if you are out there and if you're recognizing a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, ask your GP. Ask your GP for help in terms of let's, let's investigate. Who are you? What's going on on a multiple level? Um, and, and know that, you know, there's so many components of us individually in this, you know, our story, our lifestyle, like what, what is the community like and what's our, your diet like? Um, it's so important and it's okay to ask. It's okay to go to a GP. And I do hope that most feel comfortable going into a GP's office, closing the door, and they know that it's confidential. They know that it's safe and they know that there are multiple, you know, strings that GP can pull on in yeah. terms of, of, helping you. Yeah. But sometimes we have to ask because yeah, they don't, you don't come knocking on the door, sadly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, we aren't mind readers and we can't tell what's going on if you don't open up to us as well. So while it's important for us to listen and ask the right questions, we also need you to be open and vulnerable with us as well and tell us really what's going on. Because if we don't know, we can't help and we can't support you. Yeah. And that's, I guess, what the thing you said earlier is find someone you trust, someone yeah. you resonate with. Yeah. Because, of course, that's, um, you know, one of the things I often, because I also say, you know, find your community. Whatever, yeah. if you don't have family, you know, pull on other ways of finding community. You have to have some people around you that you know you can call at random hours and just maybe even just send a text saying, I'm not okay today. Can you come and bring yeah. me a soup or can you hold the baby for five minutes? while I pee or something. Exactly, <laughs> or wash my hair yeah, or something exactly. like that. Something yeah. that just makes you feel maybe a bit more normal. I think that um, we have to know that when we share how we're feeling, it's often complicated and we, we can't always apply logic to how we're feeling because yes, we, have, we might have a well baby and everything went well and everything should be fine, but you don't necessarily feel that. So people may unconsciously say, well, you should just be happy it went well, or you should be just be happy you have a beautiful little baby. You're so blessed. Imagine if you couldn't have one and so on. I mean, I've, I'm sure you have to have heard yeah. the stories, but we have to be selective in who we share with. And that's where, I, you know, obviously having a GP who is professional and have done the training in terms of that, but also if you share to the wrong people, and I know this might be putting a spanner in the works, but it's important because Sometimes it's very complex and it's very emotional. And we don't, you know, if you share with someone on the playground or in the supermarket or I don't know, random places that you're not okay, sometimes we get in situations where it's not conveyed very well. And maybe sometimes we can, we can accidentally hear other people's trauma and experience. And then it becomes this mishmash and then you might close up even more. So I just think that that's important to just mention because, um, yes, we have to have community, but you have to be selective. You need to know that you can feel truly comfortable. Exactly right. And, you know, you need to be selective with your community. You know, you pick the top 10 people that you've got on your bus and you know they're going to be with you no matter what. You have to remember that, as you said, everyone that you talk to, everyone has a story. And whether they try to or not, people bring their own experiences with them. They bring their own emotions. And that's part of what makes us a good person to offload on because we've got those experiences, we've got 
you know, for instance, in you and I, the experiences we've had with other mums and having seen what they've gone through. But I guess with our training, hopefully we're able to, to separate that. We use that experience, but we don't, you know, superimpose those experiences onto another, onto another mum. But if you're just speaking to, you know, even unfortunately some friends of ours, we, we might think that with, you know, we've got the best intentions opening up to them, but with their experiences, they superimpose them onto you, which can make you feel bad about how you're feeling, feel judged or, or feel like it's not okay um, to be feeling the way you're feeling. So being selective and making sure that you're a hundred percent comfortable with that person is really, really important. It is. It is. And it's an important one to keep in mind, hence we wanted to mention that. You know, there is this um, there is this symptom that I often bring up in the postpartum with um, lactating, breastfeeding mothers, the, making sure that in case you feel this, where when the milk comes in, we you know, bring baby to the breast and the milk comes in, the letdown, we can get a moment which lasts a few seconds, 10, 20, 30 seconds, something like that. Not very long, not minutes and minutes. Um, it sort of comes in and as this feeling of complete repulsion, wanting yeah. not to hold, be, or breastfeed or be with the baby. And it's a very intense feeling that is actually normal mm. and sometimes totally unavoidable and yeah. unpredictable. Exactly. But the key thing that you mentioned there is that it lasts seconds. If those feelings are lasting minutes, hours, days, then that's a sign that it might not be within that normal scope. That's or, or it isn't within that normal scope. They say seconds, feelings that come and go, you know, they're fleeting, there's a pattern to it, are probably okay and normal. Yeah. But look, again, if you're not sure, you just talk to someone about it. Go and see your GP. You know, talk to your doula. Say, look, this is what I'm feeling. Is it normal? And, you know, we can debrief on it. That's right, yeah. Knowing that your GP or your doula or your naturopath or your psychologist or your whoever, you know, we all have to go through training of not superimposing, as you say, our, our own beliefs or yeah. values or experiences, more importantly, onto our clients. It's, you know, that's part of the training. That's part of the very important elements of becoming a professional. Completely. And that's something particularly Working in Sydney and working in the area that we work, I see women from all walks of life, from all different cultures, different ages, different upbringings, different beliefs, and they will all have different expectations and values and wants for their pregnancy and for their postpartum period, both in the care of them and in the care of their baby. And while my approach is shaped by Western medicine and the sciences that I've studied and my experiences, it's really, really important for me that I make sure that that woman feels valued and they feel heard and Mm. that their wants and their expectations are being considered and that we work out a plan that will make them comfortable as well as make me comfortable because obviously I need to make sure that what we're doing is safe and we feel happy with that. But that, like I said, they're not feeling completely ignored in this, you know, gone are the days where doctors can say, no, this is what you have to do and this is the way it is. Mm. It's all about, for me, you'll hear me say it time and time again, is a team plan. Yeah. We've got to make sure that everyone involved in this feels comfortable, make sure that you feel safe, that you feel, like I said, valued, listened to, heard, and that you're happy with how things are proceeding. Yeah. It's such an important element, the, the being heard. I'm sure you've, you experience this too, but sometimes just them either walking into my clinic or if I'm visiting them postnatally, walking in, sometimes they break down crying just because they can. It's the feeling, oh, right, here's that person who gets me and I know I don't have to, you know, be anything for them. Um, And sometimes it's 
enough or more than enough and exactly what is needed is to just go and share just to just let it out and not hold it in and sometimes partners are not the ones to hold your emotions or what you're going through because they have their own complex elements going on and and um, and partners go through a completely different journey compared to the one who carries and grows and births the baby um they're not meant to be the same they're obviously physiologically not the same so they are uh, which I always try and talk about as well is don't try and, and make your partner go through the same journey as you and they're not not participating, they're not not interested, but they just, they might process everything differently. Exactly. They, they will process it differently. And so they, we can't underestimate the importance of knowing that this is happening within our body and these are experiences that our partner's never going to be able to feel. They're not feeling the changes within their body. They're not feeling the hormones. They're not feeling the emotions. And then also going back to what we said about superimposing, if we're offloading on our partner, we need to remember, like you said, they've got their own stuff going on and they've got their own changes and trying to cope with this this adjustment into parenthood as well. But they also love you and they're bringing in those emotions as well and at the risk of making sweeping generalisations, I find Mm -hmm. a lot partners, because they're worried and because they've got that love there, they want to fix things. And sometimes we don't need a solution. Sometimes we don't need a quick fix or an answer. We just, as you said, need to be heard. And we need someone to just sit there and rub our shoulder and go, you know what, it is tough and it is hard and hand them a tissue. And if you're like me, an entire box. I go through boxes of (laughs) tissues every week. Um, And that's where your health professionals and those support people can be really helpful because while they really care about you and they're there for you, they can be somewhat objective as well and just sit there and listen because sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, that's right. So I think that hopefully the the takeaway from this is make an extra appointment as opposed to none. Like just yeah. rather be yeah. be more proactive because there is so much uncertainty. There is so much we have no way of preparing for. We don't know how birth is going to unfold. We don't know what it feels like for you as an individual woman or as an individual couple. What was the journey? And so you're you're much better off booking in a, you know a several extra appointments with your with your GP or whoever your healthcare provider is in terms of of making sure that that is part of your self care. Maybe if that's the beginning, then that's a good place to start. Completely, and even if you're not sure that it's a question you should be asking, or you're not sure if everything's okay or not, like you said, go and ask at the risk of again quoting my father from when I was five and sounding somewhat cliched. The only silly question is the question that's not asked. That's right. So you are never wasting your doctor's time. You are never wasting Mm. your doula's time. You're never wasting your psychologist's time. You're never wasting someone's time by saying, hey, I'm not sure if I'm okay or not. That is the most important question that Mm. you can ask. And that's what we're here for. That's right. Oh, Michaela, that's so amazing. Um, Well, I think maybe that is a good way to say thank you. And I would love to have you back so we can talk about the partner side of it because I feel like that's sort of where it's going to in terms of of not forgetting them either. There is a lot going on on the other side of this whole journey and um, too often they're left out of the conversation like today. <laughs> but thank you so much for being on, to, on the podcast and I really hope that this has given the listeners some maybe a little bit more insight as to the finicky seas of, the, of this journey of the, of the mental health and knowing that reaching out is a very good idea 
if anything, it can feel incredibly empowering to actually prioritize yourself. And one thing I do often say is show your children that you care about yourself because you want to give them that image. You want They want to know and see that the, their parents or their mother, they, that they are doing and practicing uh, self-care, but also that we matter. And you really do matter as a mother, as a parent, as a carer. It's very, very important. But thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's so wonderful to be able to you know, like we say, share this and talk about it and help break down the stigma and just let women know that it's okay. You know, it's okay to not feel okay. There are people there to support them through it. And as you said, you know, I couldn't have articulated it better. We need to look after ourselves because we need to show our children that we're important because we lead by example. And if they grow up seeing that, they inevitably will treat themselves that way too. That's exactly right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, annamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mumsbya a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.